right, boy, we've got a little space over here. The Highways and Byways Ministry once a month goes and, and visits other congregations and gets to know other people. They're at Estes Park Church of Christ this morning, so uh, worshiping apart and yet with us uh, in, a, in a way that's not normal, but is, is happening today. They do that from time to time. Um, I want to talk today about uh, some holy days. Uh, in our vernacular, we often call them holidays. Uh, we've got some big holidays coming up in our country that we celebrate, many of them celebrated around the world. Uh, I know I've got to be careful in how I talk about this um, because Mark Barnes does not allow the, the red and green day to be talked about or songs to be sung prior to the passing of, of Thanksgiving. And so just to, to say there is a red and green day coming up that shall not be mentioned, but you all kind of know that it's out there, right? Uh, and then this month we have Thanksgiving. And uh, in the history of, of kind of Christianity in the church, uh, the Red and Green Day is generally thought of as one of the church's holidays, whereas Thanksgiving um, is, is not. And because that's true, that the, you know, the Catholic Church for years uh, makes some church holidays a bigger deal, uh, the Church of Christ has often said, yeah, but we don't do that. All Sundays are equal uh, in our church in the way that we celebrate them. Every Sunday we come together and celebrate uh, the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so we don't have to talk about those in special ways on certain days or in certain seasons. Well, in recent years, uh, as the culture and the world would celebrate the birth of Jesus seasonally or the death and resurrection of Jesus seasonally, it was uh, the opportunity for Church of Christ preachers to stand up and say, you know, I know we don't do this, but because the world does and we want to be missional, we're going to come alongside and do this as well. And so you would get an Easter sermon where in the past you would not. Uh, but it would always come with kind of a disclaimer or an apology or kind of a, hey, I'm going to do this, but you know I, you don't want me to, and I know I don't want to, but here's what we're going to do. And that's kind of been how that's been done. And, and I think we miss out on a little bit of the richness of, of special days. And I think God gives us special days. And I think that, that logically um, it's okay for us to kind of lean into this. Uh, if your spouse... Uh, had their birthday and said, hey, did you get me something for my birthday? And you said, honey, I celebrate you every day. So I didn't have to get you anything for today. Um, or if we were to run a race and we were to coordinate it to where all of us crossed the finish line at exactly the same time so that we could say, yes, we all won first place. But it wouldn't really feel very good because you all also came in last place, right? Uh, sameness uh, loses significance at some point. Uh, if I were to say every single one of you is my favorite person here, none of you are impressed with that in any way. And, and so I think we need to be okay saying that God wants some days to be more special than others. I, I think God wants Sunday to be more special in some ways than he wants Friday to be. Now, does that mean that I can ignore God on Friday as long as I pay attention to him on Sunday? No. I should love God and seek to be a follower of Jesus Christ every day, but in a special way when I take communion with my church family on Sundays. Amen. It's okay for that to be different and for that to be special and for that to be significant. It's what makes it a day that can more form me and transform me. Uh, and so when we look in Leviticus 23, which we're going to do here in a minute, we see God uh, making some days special making Sundays special so that they can be reminders to the people of what God's done and who He is and what it means for them in the past, the present, and the future. 
Uh, they're days of reflection. They're days of significance. And so I want to start reading this, and I realize that Leviticus is hard to read. It's hard to listen to. Um, how many of you have ever started reading the Bible at the beginning of the year and made it to about mid-February and didn't make it to March? And, and you all know why you didn't make it. Leviticus, right? We know. You get, if you're reading the Bible, you've got to mix in gospel. It keeps you going. So here we go. Uh, Leviticus 23. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. For seven days, you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present a food offering to the Lord. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He's to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord, a lamb, a year old without defect, together with its grain offering of two tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil. And he goes on, he says, this is to be a lasting ordinance. And then he describes the festival of weeks, and then he describes the festival of trumpets, and he describes the day of atonement, and he describes the festival of tabernacles. And I'm not going to read all of those to you because I know you would fall asleep. Um, so I'm just going to tell you that God is setting up these regular events, these regular holidays. Now, we don't celebrate most of those because these holidays are given to Israel. They're given to God's people, the Jews, and many of them continue to celebrate these holidays that God gave them thousands of years ago today. It's still part of how they practice their faith. And what we're going to look at today is the first of the special days that he mentions here in Leviticus chapter 23, which is the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And what I want to show you is that, that so often these special days are days of remembering what God has done in the past. And that's hard for some of us today. We're very, very future-oriented people. We're very, very uh, tuned in to the present and what's coming up. We want to look forward. We want to anticipate. We want to vision cast. We want to plan. And the downside to that of often being so future-focused is we forget all the good God has done for us in the past. And not just the good times, we remember that things used to sometimes be really bad, and God got us through it. We forget that, that sometimes things were really good, and God blessed us in the midst of it. That, that over and over again, our understanding of all that God has done in our past colors how we think about the present and the future. But if we aren't oriented around remembering all that God has done, if we're instead just focused on the trials and the tasks at hand and the fear of what's coming in the future, we end up becoming overwhelmed with anxiety and fear. We forget that God got us through all the stuff in the past. And so there's this power of remembering 
And, and God gives us special days that help us to remember. In our country, this, this month, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. And it's a time where we come together and say, man, in the midst of a year of either suffering or blessing, I've got a lot to be thankful for. Amen. I've got a lot to be thankful for. And when we remember that and we eat a lot of food and watch the Dallas Cowboys probably lose, they have the last couple of years, um, it reminds us that we have a lot to be thankful for. When we get to spend time with friends and family and have extra time off of work to, to, to re relax and recharge, we're reminded that we have a lot to be thankful for. And so you see how holidays uh, are intended to reframe how we think about things. Uh, this last week we celebrated in this country Veterans Day, where we remember and celebrate veterans and the sacrifices they've made for our country. And we remember them because we remember the sacrifices they made to honor them in the present so that they don't feel forgotten or that those sacrifices that were made for our freedoms aren't forgotten. And it colors how we think about our freedoms and our liberties and our country today when we remember the sacrifices of those who've gone before us and served for us. And so that's a holiday that we have in our country that shapes how we think about the present and the future by remembering what's been done in the past. Now, God does this with the, the beginning of the Sabbath. When he institutes the Sabbath, he's trying to remind people about something that's happened in the past so that it can inform their thoughts about the present and the future. But we don't think about it that way. We think about Sabbath uh, as timeout day, right? We kind of get an idea as children of what Sabbath would be like. Um, and when you're a kid and you get in trouble, your parents would tell you to go to your room and do nothing, right? You go to timeout. Or if you started to be really whiny, they would tell you, hey, you need to go take a nap. And we read about Sabbath, and I think as adults, we hold on to that kind of memory of what Sabbath felt like as children. We're kind of go, man, that sounds terrible. I don't want to have to go do nothing. That sounds tediously boring. I want to do something. I want to have fun. I want to go on adventures. I want to get something accomplished. I want to be productive. Uh, Sabbath is the enemy of all the things that I want to do today. But when you go look at Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve have first eaten the fruit that they were not supposed to eat, and they've sinned, and God has come and he's found them, and he's pronouncing the curses upon them. Genesis chapter 3, what we see is that God gets to where he's talking to Adam, and he says in verse 17, he says, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since you were from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. It's Old Testament language to say this. From now on, you've got to work really hard to earn a living. From now on, you've got to work endlessly to provide food and shelter for you and your family. From now on, uh, you don't just have everything provided for you. Work is not going to be easy. You've got to work hard. You have to toil. And what's interesting in our world today is that we have embraced the curse. We're workaholics. We're working, working, working all the time. 
And yet God didn't design it to, to be that way all the time. How do we know that? Because in, in, a, in Exodus chapter 20, in the Ten Commandments, which is a pretty big deal to be in the middle of the Ten Commandments, God gives this command. He says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male and female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The curse is that you have to work hard to have to provide for your family. But then in the commandments, God gives this instruction. Remember the Sabbath and keep it sacred, keep it holy. Don't ever fail to practice this. He says, you work six days because that's the nature of this fallen world, but on one day you rest. On one day you relax. On one day you refrain. And he says that, that this is tied to God's act of creating. He says, why do you rest on the seventh day? Because I rested on the seventh day. God in the creation story sets the example of rest. You know why God needed to rest? Was it because he was tired? It's because he'd run out of energy after six days of creating? That he had done all things by the power of his, his mouth, proclaiming that the light would come and the stars and the seas and the trees and the animals and humans. And he created it and he went, boy, I need a nap. No, God didn't need rest. God wasn't tired. God could have created for a hundred more days without running out of energy. There's no energy loss for God that requires a recharge. And so when God rests on the seventh day, he's not doing it because he's worn out. He's doing it to give order to the creation that he's just created. His design in creating is that there are rhythms to life, that there are seasons, that the sun is up and then the sun is down, that you work when the sun is up and you rest when it's down. You inhale and you exhale, that there are limits to how much you should work and there are limits to how much you should rest. But rest is made more meaningful when it is alongside work, and work is more meaningful when it is accompanied by times of rest. And God rests, and he looks at his creation, and he admires all that he has done, and he rests in his good rule over the entire creation. And he does that, and he then tells Israel in the Ten Commandments, here's the thing, I want you to take every Saturday off and rest because I rested, and I reflected, and I admired the creation that I had put into existence. And I was aware that, that all of this harmony came to be because of my good power and influence. And I want you, on every Sabbath day, to also reflect on that to look at the creation, to enjoy all that I've done, to, to be present to me and present to one another and present to the world that I gave you. It's a memory. But one of the things that's really interesting to me is that in the other listing of the Ten Commandments, which is in Deuteronomy, the Sabbath is described a little bit differently. 
It's described a little bit uh, more in terms of the Exodus than the Genesis account of creation. And here's what I mean when I say that. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. The reason for Sabbath is different. The motivation for, for resting is described differently here. It's a very subtle difference, and it's not a contradiction, but I think it's a reminder that, that the memory of who God is is not just tied to his power in the creation, his beauty in the creation. It's also tied to the salvation and deliverance that he brings to all of us. And so in this account, they're told to reflect on what Pharaoh used to do to them. Remember that you used to be slaves. In this version, there's two different times that he mentions that your servants, your female and male servants, your slaves, get to enjoy Sabbath rest also. And he has to go in detail and not just say everyone, because sometimes everyone means just the people in power. And sometimes in, in history, everyone means just a certain group of people. So he goes so far as to say, listen, I want your animals to get rest. I want the foreigner who's living among you to get rest. And he had to say that because there's this tendency, uh, there's still a practice today uh, where if you are someone who is, is very observant of Judaism and you need work done, uh, you can hire that work out to be done by someone who's not a practicing and observing Jew, and they do the work for you. And so God has to say, no, nobody works. This is a day of equality in the rest. Everyone gets to enjoy it equally, and everyone gets to remember that I've delivered you from Pharaoh. And that teaching is both a reminder, but it's a reminder that shapes how they think about the present and the future. You used to be slaves to a cruel oppressor, and I set you free. Now, don't use that freedom that I gave you to become a cruel oppressor to others. Remember that I set you free and become liberators yourself. And so he builds into the Sabbath a reminder that God brought Israel out of slavery and that they should not become enslavers of others, that they should not enslave themselves by working, 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 working. 120 years ago, there was a writer named Thorstein Veblen, and he wrote about how conspicuous abstention from labor becomes the conventional mark of superior pecuniary achievement. It's an old-fashioned, old-timey way of saying, if you're rich and you're powerful, you get to relax a lot. You get free time a lot. You can go show off your wealth uh, by showing off how much uh, you don't have to be working today. Uh, in our world, that's different. It's different. Uh, in our world, what we believe is that the busiest person is the wealthiest and the most important. 
In our world, what we've come to believe uh, is that busyness is the mark of success and it's a status symbol. We've bought into this idea uh, that we should reject rest because the person who is the busiest is in demand. He's got to answer their phone the most. She's the most ambitious. They are valued by others. Uh, that that's the person who, if they stop working, the world's going to fall apart. And so we pursue chaotic busyness. We become workaholics. We brag about how busy we are. We have become an entire nation of people who think that the busiest among us and the hardest working is the wealthiest and the most honored. And so we reject rest. We give up the blessing of remembering, of relaxing, of being present to God's creation and grateful for God's deliverance. And instead, we embrace the curse of toil and say, I'm just going to do this all the time so that I can get ahead and so that people can think I'm awesome. Sabbath isn't a command that exists for Christians today. It's, it's part of the command that was given to Israel, and there's many that still observe it within Israel and Judaism today. And it's not a command that exists for us. But in releasing the command, we also forfeited the blessing. God gives us a blessing in rest. God gives us a blessing in relaxing and turning away from the curse and turning away from all of the toil. He designed it for it to be a time of reflecting on all that he has done for us. We're reminded that we need rhythms of rest and work. We're reminded to be present to the world of creation so our minds can be drawn back to the one who created it all. In our rest, we remember all of God's deliverances in our life. And I really do mean that. It, we don't think in those terms very often that God has delivered us, uh, but we should. We should, and in big and small ways. And the big way is quite obvious. I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. I used to be a sinner, but by amazing grace, because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice that Lee talked about earlier, and he died on the cross to save me from my sins, that I now can be in Jesus if I'm baptized into him. And if I'm baptized into him, I not only am baptized into his death, but also his resurrection, Paul tells us. And I become a transformed person. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. I used to be lost and dead, and now I'm saved and found and alive. And I should always remember that. That's the big ways. But then there's the small ways. There's the days where uh, you didn't know uh, what you were going to eat or what you were going to feed your family, and God got you through it. There were the days where, where you thought a relationship was gone, that that relationship was dead, and God delivered you from that brokenness to a good relationship. There's times where, where we go through all kinds of different suffering, and God brings us through it. Those are the little deliverances that we need to remember and be grateful for. But so often we're so busy working and getting that to-do list shorter and, and getting all the things that need to be done done that we forget to stop and remember what God's done for us, how God's blessed us, how God has delivered us. We fail to go out and spend time looking at the beauty of trees in the fall and listening to running water and remembering the God who made all of that. The God who turns the dial on the seasons in some places slow here real fast. 
And we forget the God who created and did all those things. And, and it causes us to lose our appreciation of how awesome God is. And we get caught up in the anxieties of the present, the worries of the world. So we need to remember the lies that the world tells us are lies. Some of the lies like, if I don't keep working, I won't have enough food or drink or clothes. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, listen, you've got to worry about food and drink and clothes. Don't you know that God takes care of the flowers and they don't worry about that? God provides. And God loves you more than flowers. The birds of the air have everything they need because God takes care of them. Don't you know that God's going to take care of you because he loves you more than birds? And he takes care of the birds. And so we worry about having to work to acquire, we have to work to get enough. We buy into the lie that if I don't show up today, the world might stop turning. We buy into the lie that I can only depend on me and have faith in me to look after me. We buy into the lie that only I know what is best for me. And we try and tell God in prayers what he needs to do to accomplish what we need accomplished. But restful remembrance, Sabbath memory reminds us that God provides even when we aren't laboring and spinning. Now, if we don't work at all, do we, you know, you've got to still do your part, but also rest in God. He will provide. It's one of the beauties of Sabbath that if you, if you kind of practice rest, what you'll learn is that if you don't work nonstop, you're still okay. And it takes the urgency out of your to-do list. It takes the urgency out of accomplishing all the things all the time. And it gives you peace to rest in God because He provides for you even when you quit being anxious and working all the time. God provides. Restful remembrance reminds us that the world's turning depends on God and not me. And it reorients us to giving Him glory and praise and not myself glory and praise. Or, or giving Him my anxieties and worries and not just filling myself with them all the time. Restful remembrance reminds us that I need to remember God's past faithfulness and anticipate His future faithfulness. And this is so important. Uh, gratitude reduces anxiety. And so if you're here right now and you're worried about inflation, you're worried about gas prices, you're worried about politics, you're worried about what you saw in the news, you're worried about your job, uh, a lot of those anxieties are a result of your lack of memory about all that God's done for you before. And Sabbath is designed to remind you, resting in God reminds you about his past deliverances which changes how much fear you have about the future. Gratitude from the past re it replaces fear of the future and replaces it with faithfulness and peace and, and hope. God's great gifts in memory. Restful remembrance reminds me that God knows what's best for me more than I do. And so I can trust him as I walk forward with him because he's been there before and he'll be there again. I can take a break because God's in charge and I'm not. I can take a break to remember God, thank God, and trust God. I can take a break because God designed me to need rest and be blessed by rest. And that feels good. It feels good. And so here's what I hope you hear today. 
What I hope you hear is that God set aside time in your life for you to rest in Him and be blessed by that. And if you feel like when you take a moment to rest that you feel guilt because you're not being busy all the time, you're missing a blessing. If you feel anxiety because you feel like you have to go, 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 God has a gift in the peace for you. And I hope that you take some time as we enter the holiday season that's coming up of Thanksgiving and the red and green one to follow, uh, that, that you'll find time in the time off to create margin for you to rest in God's presence and rest with others. It's a day for relationship. It's a time uh, to relax. It's a time to be present to God, what he's done in the past, so it can shape how you think about, pray about, live into your future. In a second, I want to, uh, we'll have an invitation, but I want to end by just reading uh, Psalm 46. And after this psalm, if you need to come forward and respond to today's lesson, uh, you can do so. But, But listen to these words as we finish the lesson this morning. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I hear the Savior.